It's time for the car doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. My name is John Paul, the Car Doctor here to help you with your car problems on this Saturday morning or Sunday night if you're listening on WBIX. On Sunday nights at 9 o'clock, remember, we have a slightly shortened up version of the program that runs for 60 minutes between 9 and 10 o'clock on Sunday night. And generally, you can find updated programs on the podcast page, both on uh, Salem Radio and WROL, and my podcast, which is johnatpaul.podomatic.com or iTunes or or Stitcher or any number of different places you find you might find and listen to podcasts. Uh, just search Car Doctor Radio, and I may pop up there, and you can listen to old programs there as well. And, of course, you can always listen online on the WROL app or any of your favorite radio apps like TuneIn, uh, and Stitcher actually does live live streaming as well. And uh, if you go to the Car Doctor radio page on Stitcher, you can you can stream the Car Doctor program live there too. So you can listen on WROL.com and find it there, WROLradio.com. You can find the program there. If you're thinking, hmm, is he in the studio or not again? What's going on? No, I'm not in the studio. I... Uh, Returned back to Florida. Uh, actually, I never, I never really left. I, uh, I uh, was here for, I was here for just a couple of days, and then I worked at our AAA national office uh, until yesterday, and then turned around and came back over to here, over to the other side of Florida, over on the West Coast side, and that's where I am this morning and today, and, uh, and going home, going home later. Uh, I, I wish I wish I could stay I wish I could stay longer, but I understand uh, the only thing I missed uh, in uh, New England was some beautiful weather this week. Uh, but the the weather in the weather in Florida is typical weather in Florida. It's hot and humid, and then it rains, and it's hot and humid again. Uh, but I was down in our national office, the AAA national office. Uh, I am a driver improvement instructor, which means I try to tell people the right way to drive, uh, especially my focus in our AAA club, AAA Northeast club, is typically um, senior driving, and pick whatever age you think seniors should be. But in Rhode Island, if you take one of the AAA driver improvement programs, you get a uh, discount on your insurance if you're over the age of 55. If you take the same program in Connecticut and you're over the age of 60, you get an insurance discount. If you take the program in Massachusetts, you get nothing. You get no insurance discount whatsoever. Uh, but I'm something called a lead instructor, which means I can instruct other people how to go out and teach, and they can go out and teach other people and so forth. Um, a lead instructor, uh, just like a, a regular instructor, needs to be recertified every three years. If you're just a regular instructor, you get recertified every three years, and... That's usually a one-day program, goes over some of the new things, that new programs, materials that may come up. And a lead instructor, uh, you need to actually go through a five-day recertification course, which includes actually some behind-the-wheel uh, 
work, uh, and also as part of this, you do it as if you're teaching other instructors how to do this sort of work. So uh, we rent a big parking lot, and then we go out and we set up cones and, and figure eights and all kinds of different things just to get people familiar with the proper aspects of car control and handling and so forth. So, uh, so that was, uh, that was, uh, most of my week this week as well as trying to answer, uh, emails and so forth. Pretty much it seems like you can do everything with a cell phone now. You can answer emails. You can, you can do this radio show, which is how I'm doing it. I'm using a special app, and and uh, hopefully it sounds okay to people. So I, I wasn't able to bring all my normal equipment with me, microphone and and um, all the normal equipment that I would take if I was broadcasting from a uh, maybe a uh, location like a car dealership or you know Auto Toys and Randolph or something like that. Uh, just required too much stuff. Instead, I just decided to do it this way, and we'll just uh, try to go on and, and make it all work. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Uh, we have uh, plenty of time if you would like to call in and ask a question, and that way I have to talk less, and that way I get to talk to you, and we get to chat a little bit. Uh, it is um, the you know car show season in New England is starting to wind down. Uh, car show season in Florida, I think, is starting to wind up, it seems like. Uh, and also, I was uh, uh, talking to people on the east coast of Florida. This is a the second big bike week in, uh, in Florida. It's Daytona Biketoberfest, and they were expecting about 100,000 motorcyclists to show up at Biketoberfest. Um, the numbers are growing steadily. Last year, they had about... 75,000, they expect 100,000 this week, and um, and not quite as many as the quarter of a million or half a million that show up for Bike Week uh, in the spring, but still a lot of people showing up and a lot of motorcycles showing up and a lot of people around. Um, Florida is kind of a weird car culture area. It's uh, I've seen some cars that I have never seen before. I've seen some cars that are in fabulous condition. I saw a 66 El Camino the other day out in the highway. Thing looked pristine, really nice shape, and uh, really oddly original, right down to the vinyl roof on it. So um, not exactly my taste, but uh, something that you know, some that was uh, that was uh, available in, in that sort of 66, 67, 68 time frame. So uh, it was one of one of those cars. Also, I saw. Something I'm not exactly sure what it was. It looked like a motorcycle grafted on to maybe a Honda Del Sol's, which is the Honda's little two-seater removable roof car. Uh, the guy was driving it from the motorcycle seat, and it looked like the rear of it was sort of a, I don't know, another little two-seat area for carry passengers around. So you'd sit one in the front and two across the back, and... It was a little bit odd looking. I have to, I have to admit, and uh, it was also very quiet when it went by. So I'm not quite sure exactly what it was. It looked kind of like a Harley front end, but who knows what it is? So a lot of interesting cars, and and again, you know, cars cars don't rust away down here. They get destroyed by the sun sometimes, and uh, tires can be a problem, and batteries can be a problem, and things like that. Uh, a lot of um, 
lot of insects and critters and things that can cause some problems with vehicles. Uh, but it, it's uh, an interesting place in, uh, where where you see cars that um, that you you don't see you don't see because they typically up our way they just rust away and uh, sort of interesting. I haven't I have yet to meet anyone from Florida. Uh, I met a um, uh, pest control guy. He was from Long Island. I met an air conditioning guy. He was from uh, Fall River or New Bedford, uh, across the street from from uh, where I was staying. The little restaurant there was owned is owned by a woman from Salem, Massachusetts. So I, I've still yet to meet people from Florida. I guess I said something to somebody about it, and they said, "Well, my kids are from Florida, but uh, people that are in there, seemingly in their." 40s, 50s, 60s, they all came from someplace else, and uh, and they all they all seem to they all seem to like working here. They all seem to like being here. Uh, the people that uh, are are interesting that uh, you know in all the stores they are all they're all my age or older it seems like, and they all looking for something to do, and they all have little part time jobs, and they're all also probably need a little bit of extra money as well. So speaking of batteries, you know, let's talk about getting your car ready for winter time. A good running car shouldn't really need much. You shouldn't really need to do too much to a good running car if it's if you maintain it and take care of it and do all the things you need to do. But typically in New England, a battery lasts about four and a half to five years. So if you have a car that's four and a half or five years old or a battery that's four and a half or five years old, it may be starting to get to be on the end of its life cycle. So make sure you have your battery checked by someone. It doesn't take too long. Uh, depending on what kind of equipment they use, if they use an old-fashioned carbon pile battery tester, which puts a load on the battery, you can test a battery in probably 30 seconds with that. If you have a more sophisticated battery tester, uh, it's an impedance-style tester, which doesn't put a load on the battery but measures a lot of electrical uh, tests within the battery, those take a little bit longer if it's done properly. I have a sort of basic one that I use, uh, test my own batteries at home. The ones that we use at AAA are a little bit more sophisticated because they have designed them to be uh, in such a way that you can't skip a step. So you start up the car, you measure the voltage, you turn the headlights on, you bring the battery voltage down a little bit, and then you test the battery, you also test the starting system, you also are testing the charging system, and you're also looking for uh, any kind of parasitic draw, so anything that could cause a battery to go dead over time. And it can be something as simple as a dome light or a trunk light or a glove compartment light that stays on, or it can be something more sophisticated. Cars today have computer systems in them that are designed to go to sleep, basically. They're designed to let the system slowly shut itself down, but still retain memory of things like clocks and power seats and uh, in more sophisticated cars, mirrors and, and climate control systems. And there's also always some little bit of electricity flowing. The last car that I drove was a uh, BMW, and it not only had the regular battery, it had a small battery that looked about the size of a, good-sized motorcycle battery, and that was designed to keep all the reserve accessories going while the main system was designed for the conventional starting and charging system. So, uh, But you still want to make sure that that battery is in good shape. And if you're 
thinking about, you know, where can I go to get my battery tested? AAA is still doing some battery tests uh, on October 28th. Uh, they're doing testing in our AAA office in Newton, Rockland, Saugus. And today, I believe, we're doing testing in AAA Auburn, Lowell, Plymouth, Cranston, Rhode Island. And if you're listening way out in the western part of the state, Pittsfield, Mass. various AAA offices, and again, the ones for today, for the 21st, are uh, Pittsfield, Auburn, Framingham, Lowell, Plymouth, and Cranston, Rhode Island would be the closest right over the border. And next weekend, uh, Lemonster, North Andover, Newton, Rockland, Saugus, and right over the border in East Providence, Rhode Island. And um, if you're listening, listening in Connecticut, uh, Hamden, Connecticut today, Milford, Connecticut next week. So they can test your battery. Also, you want to make sure the engine coolant is in good condition. Engine coolant will help, of course, prevent the car from freezing up in the winter weather, but also the engine coolant is a lubricant for the water pump. And if the, if the engine coolant has started to get acidic, it can cause a lot of problems. So, you want to make sure that that engine coolant is good and clean. A 50-50 mix of typical engine coolant antifreeze will protect the car to minus 34 degrees. So you want to make sure the antifreeze is in good shape. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Let's take a call. Good morning. You're on the Car Doctor program. Um, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, the car question is a 2004 Impala. Yep. Okay, when I, when I start off, I get kind of a thumping noise, like somebody tapping me. Now, do the transmission bands have to be adjusted, or is this a sign of transmission problems? Uh, there's, nothing, there's nothing in the transmission to adjust. Now, okay. it's, now, now tell me again. You're, you're at a stoplight, and you go, yes. to, you, you go to accelerate, and it feels like yes. somebody's, tapping you, it feels like somebody's right. tapping you from behind? Like a, a tapping noise, correct. But it's actually a noise. It does it feel does it feel like oh, it yes, is, or does it oh, 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 the car jazz. Oh it does, okay. Right, yeah. Okay. And is there any check engine light on or anything? No, there isn't. There isn't. There isn't. So I, no check I, engine I light. A, I put it through a scanner, there's no, nothing shows up at all. No, nothing shows up. Okay, good. So um good and bad. You know, it could be the beginning of a transmission problem. Uh, okay. I would I would bring it to a good transmission specialist and take go out for a ride with them and see what they think is wrong. But it doesn't always do it, John. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's okay. that's that, that's yeah. okay. Um, okay. They can also look at some very specific transmission testing. They can look at they can look at fluid pressures. Now, what speed does it go away if you're going faster or slower? Well, it just happens when I start off, John. Only when well, you start off. Acceleration, right? Only when you start off. Yeah, right. I mean, it could, it very well, I would start by the very basics. Make sure that, make sure the fluid's full in the transmission. Oh, yeah. Yeah, plenty of fluid. Yeah. Plenty of fluid, I, good. And, I, and, and what does, transmission fluid, yeah. Yep. And what does the fluid look like? Does the transmission fluid look like it's in good shape? Is it, is well, it I, nice? just, I just had, I just had it changed about five months ago. Oh. So no problem okay. there, yeah. 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 Now, now, why did you have a change? Were you, 
did you suspect there was a problem five months ago? Did you oh, do no, no, it was just, just a maintenance hotel. Just maintenance, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would, I would go, I would go to a transmission shop and have it looked at. The other thing I would want to look at is, I would want to make sure that there's nothing worn in the front axles. There's two CV joints on each side, okay. left and right. And I would want to make sure there's nothing worn in there that could give you that same sort of feeling. Um, okay. the other thing is, I, the other thing you could be feeling, oddly enough, is, there could be a broken motor or transmission mount. Okay. Because Sounds when you right. excel, when when you when yeah. you go to start off and you step on yeah. the gas a little bit, if the mount is worn, it's going to cause the engine or the transmission to jump up and down a little bit. It'll feel like somebody's it'll feel like somebody's pushing you from behind. It'll make a funny okay. noise, and uh, okay. you know. Then once you get rolling, you don't really notice it as much. So I right. would look at. I would look at have somebody just test it, you know, look at the transmission just and axle shafts, but I also want to look at those motor mounts and transmission mounts to make sure nothing's worn out. Sounds good, John. Okay, thanks, Sounds Ben. Great. Yeah, thank you very much. Right. Yeah. All right, take care now. Bye bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty is how you get through. And we were talking about uh, preventative maintenance for the winter time. So engine coolant, what can happen with engine coolant is when it gets really, really dirty, it can actually become acidic to the point where it can cause the radiator to almost turn into a battery. I've taken a low-voltage voltmeter, stuck one end of the probe into the liquid in the radiator, so stuck it right in the antifreeze, and then ground the other end, to say the battery ground, and actually measured voltage, measured one and a half, two, three volts. And what that means is it's so acidic, you've created a little battery. And if you were ever a Cub Scout and you ever tried to make a battery out of a, out of a lemon, you've kind of done the same thing. It's, it's sort of the same idea where you've caused, you've caused a, a battery condition, electrical condition to build up. What happens then, that electrical condition can cause things like cylinder head gaskets to start to eat through. Uh, some of the metal pipes for the for the cooling system. Ford had a problem with cars that were going through heater cores like crazy because the antifreeze would actually start to get acidic and it would actually um, cause the, the heater core to become part of the ground for the electrical system. Well, it's not designed for that. It's a little... It's a little uh, Aluminum copper tube that's designed to have coolant go through it, and not be a ground. So there, there are some things that can certainly happen from having old coolant in the car. So as a general rule, three to five years is where you want to think about changing the engine coolant in your car. Uh, people that are old enough to remember, remember that you would uh, you would put alcohol in your radiator to prevent from freeze, prevent the water from freezing, and it would evaporate. And then they come out with the antifreeze, you know, what we like to call Prestone, uh, and that was called permanent antifreeze. Did it last permanently? No, it just meant that it lasted longer than mixing alcohol and water together. And or else what people did way back when is they just left stuff running. They never shut it off. So if it kept running, it would typically not freeze up. So, um, so you would you would look at that. But permanent antifreeze is not permanent. Permanent antifreeze needs to be changed over time and. You, you need to look at it, and a simple antifreeze tester will give you an idea about what the condition is based on is it protecting the car to minus 34 below zero, which is that 50-50 mix that everybody likes to use. And 
If you go to 75.25, you'll go down to about 60 below zero, I think. And if you go to 100%, it starts to go the other way, which is why some antifreeze manufacturers have come out with 50-50 mix of antifreeze so you don't pour straight antifreeze in and start to have some start to have some problems. And the antifreeze freezing point will change a little bit, but the other thing that happens when you use straight antifreeze in very cold weather it can turn into this kind of thick gooey mix and that thick gooey mix can cause uh poor cooling system performance. So you want to make sure the antifreeze is in good condition. You want to look at the belts. There's really in newer cars today is one or two belts. It used to be three or four in some cases on cars, but you want to make sure the drive belts are in good shape. Serpentine belts, I remember when I first started to repair cars years ago when I worked as a mechanic, radiator and heater hoses lasted two or three years. Belts would last two or three years. You'd always think about replacing them when they get two or three years old because it crack and wear. Serpentine belts last a lot longer, 50, 60, 100,000 miles in some cases, but that doesn't mean they should be ignored. You should Look at the belts, look for signs of cracking, look for signs of glazing. Even a serpentine belt with all the ridges in it, if you see signs of cracking across the belt, not a bad idea to think about replacing it. If that belt breaks, well, there goes your cooling system, there goes your alternator, there goes your power steering, there goes your air conditioning. And the one that I'm most concerned about is your cooling system because if the water pump stops turning, the car will overheat very quickly. And today's engines, unlike engines from the 60s and even the 70s, uh, don't, don't react well to overheating. Big old cast iron V8s, you could overheat. I, I've seen cast iron V8 engines overheat so much that the exhaust manifolds turn cherry red. You'd cool it off, you'd put fresh coolant in there, let it run. Chances are you'd put a thermostat in it because the thermostat got cooked out of it. You put a thermostat in it. It just runs fine afterwards, no problems whatsoever. Uh, these aluminum engines that we have in cars today, especially the four-cylinder ones, you allow them to overheat and drive it for just uh, a mile or so, and the engine's toast at that point. It just it won't work anymore. It's just the head, the cylinder heads twist and distort, and you have all kinds of problems. So, replacing replacing the coolant, replacing the belts, very important things. And then there's tires on the car. You want to make sure your tires are in good shape. Uh, we did some testing with tires this week, and we found that the difference in wet weather stopping, and in 49 states, a tire is considered worn out when it's down to 230 seconds of tread. Uh, one state, and I want to say it's someplace where it snows, it's like Idaho or something, uh, will allow one thirty-second of tread depth before they consider the tire worn out. But what we found out was that at 60 miles an hour, and if you want to see this, Tire Rack, uh, the online tire company, has this video on their website. At 60 miles an hour, and I'm kind of making the numbers up a little bit, a tire with two thirty seconds of tread on a wet road will take, say, 140 feet to, or 150 feet to stop. A tire with four thirty seconds stops in about 40 feet less distance. So in other words, that tire that's down to four thirty seconds, the distance, if you had a jam on your brakes in a rainy, rainy, poor weather condition, 
if the average car length is about 15 feet long, it's you would slide with worn tires about the equivalent of three car lengths. Well, that certainly is the difference between a crash and one that didn't happen. So having good tread on your tires is important, and not just for wet weather, but, of course, you know, winter weather and snow and all that. The more tread, the better the car is going to stop, the better the car is going to perform. Uh, we always used to say take a penny and stick a penny, you know, in the tread right across the tire, and if it reached up to um, Lincoln's head, I think, in a penny, um, I don't know my presidents on my coins very well, but if it reaches up to the top of their head, well, the tire was still serviceable at 230 seconds. Well, we've changed that. Now we say use a quarter, a little bit more space, closer to that 430 seconds, so use a quarter. And as a bad joke, we always say, why do we use a quarter now instead of a penny? Jeff, get ready for some music. Why do we use a quarter now instead of a penny? It's inflation. Got nothing, huh? No. Oh, well. It's, it's, it's a bad drum roll, drum roll joke anyway. So, uh, but it is, uh, it's, uh, one of those, it's one of those things that the better the tread on your car, the better the car is going to perform. And again, checking all the rest of the vital fluids on the car, uh, like Ben was talking about earlier with transmission fluid, I'm not a big believer in changing transmission fluid unless there's a reason to think about it. Uh, if you have worked a car very hard because you got stuck in the snow or stuck in the mud and you've raced the transmission up and down, well, you've, you've probably overheated the transmission fluid. If you tow a boat or a camping trailer or a horse trailer and you work the transmission hard, and especially if that vehicle wasn't really designed for it, it didn't have an extra transmission cooler, it's a good idea to change the transmission fluid periodically. I'm also a stickler for using the right kind of transmission fluid, just like using the right kind of coolant. The last I checked, there was probably eight or nine different kinds of engine coolant. There's also as many kinds of transmission fluid. I remember years back, I knew a very good transmission transmission shop. They did great work. He would only use Ford fluid in all of his transmissions. Didn't didn't matter whether it was a Chrysler or a Ford or a GM. He would only use Ford fluid because he firmly believed that the Ford fluid did a better job and he felt it offered a little bit more of a buffer against heat than, say, Dextron transmission fluid. Today, that's not the case. You need to use the fluid that's designed for the car, especially for imports. Uh, Honda has its very own specific fluid. It's very expensive. Hyundai has its own specific fluid. It's very expensive. Some cars, like Toyotas, will say you can you can use Toyota fluid or the or an equivalent, and it might be a GM Dextron style fluid. But you want to make sure the vital fluids are in good shape. Same thing with power steering fluid. Uh, again, I'm not a huge believer in changing power steering fluid unless there's an issue. Uh, you look at the fluid and it looks like there's a problem. It's really, really, really dirty. Or there's something up with the fluid. You want to make sure it's in, you want to make sure it's in good condition. Maybe you've replaced a hose or there's a collapsed hose and the pump was running hot. Um, it used to be that all we used was transmission fluid would put transmission fluid in. That was power steering fluid. It's not the case anymore. There's very specific power steering fluid that needs to be used when you service a power steering system. 
Brake fluid, well, there's one or two kinds of brake fluid depending on what you use. Uh, the, and the, the, it's always a little confusing when it says only use brake fluid from a sealed container. Well, they were all sealed containers until you open them. So what does that mean? Well, what it means is, and I remember seeing this in a shop years ago, they would have a little, um, little metal pouring cup and they would always have brake fluid in it. In fact, it was somebody's job every morning to kind of top off that little cup. So when somebody came in for an oil change, you would add brake fluid. Well, brake fluid by design tends to attract moisture, and you don't want to add moisture to your brake fluid because that can cause internal rusting of the brake components, but it can also cause uh, overheating of the brake fluid. If you were driving down Mount Washington and you had your foot on the brake all the way, well, the brake pads and shoes would overheat, but also the brake fluid would overheat, and you'd get a very spongy brake pedal because the fluid would literally be boiling inside the brake system and cause problems. So you want to make sure the brake fluid is in good shape. There's also little litmus strips, just like for antifreeze. You can dip it in the fluid and see what kind of condition it is. You can get the same thing for antifreeze to see how acidic it is, and it just measures the pH. The other ones measure moisture, so you know what kind of condition it is. Um, Batteries today, do you need to put water in them? Not, not very many of those left anymore. Uh, windshield washer fluid, you want to make sure as you're going into winter weather that you get windshield washer fluid that's really designed for poor weather conditions. You want to make sure that um, you want something. It was, it was funny, about four or five years ago, there was a shortage of windshield washer fluid. It was hard to find. And so one of the big retailers that buys closeouts. It might have been job lot, I don't remember, or building 19 or somebody like that. And they got windshield washer fluid, but it was only, it would only protect to um, 10 degrees. Well, 10 degrees is cold out, but 10 degrees is also temperatures that we have pretty routinely in the wintertime. So if you added this fluid, chances are the windshield washer system would freeze up over the over the winter, and if it did, well, that could cause aggravating problems. The washers just don't work, or you could freeze a pump, uh, the windshield washer pump in the system, and then all of a sudden because you use the wrong windshield washer fluid. So you want to look at it, and you want something that says it's good to minus 32 or minus 30 or some cold temperature. You want to make sure it's in good condition. Um, the the typical blue fluid that we always see, everyone seems to have, it's um, – it's it's pretty good. There's some other there's some other alternatives now. Rainex makes a windshield wipe windshield washer fluid that uh, it has a Rainex product in it, which tends to have water beat up on the windshield. works works pretty well. There's some others that have a, an extra cleaner in them, which allows the you know kind of scrub the windshield a little bit better. Uh, speaking of windshield and wipers, make sure your wiper blades are in good shape. If you've gone through summer with the windshield wiper blades, the the heat and the hot weather can be tough on the wiper blades. Also tough on the arms and the and the um, the the blade itself because not just the insert but the blade itself because it can start to lose its shape a little bit from sitting on the windshield in the in the hot weather. So make sure your windshield wipers are in good shape. Um, I'm not a big fan of the true winter wiper blades, the ones that the framework of the blade is covered with sort of an ugly rubber um, material, and I'm not a fan of them because I think they just look hideous. Uh, there are some that use a, there's a unibeam style, 
which are good in smaller blades, not so good in bigger blades. And then there's sort of a hybrid that is sort of a, a blade with a, with a metal shield over it. Michelin made one, which I really liked. It was a metal shield. Um, I just replaced the ones on my car not that long ago. And they were the, I think, I think they were called Michelin stealth blades, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, but instead of a metal cap over the top of the blade, now they use a rubber one. I'm not sure why. I like the other ones better. And I don't know if it was a cost thing, a weight thing, or maybe they wear out faster or slower. I, I don't know, but I like the old ones a lot. I put the new ones on. They look, they look about the same. So they're not, they're not hideous looking, but they do seem to work real well. They clean the windows real well. And the idea of the hybrid one, same thing. It covers up the blade so snow and ice doesn't build up in there. Well, I've been talking for about 35 minutes. I think it's time for us to take a break and pay some bills. If you would like to join us, our phone number is 617-770-3030. Give us a call. Say hello to Jeff. He'll put you on hold, and he'll get you down to me. We'll be right back. W-R-O-L Boston. Fall has arrived, and drivers, it's time to get ready. So giant tire savings continue at your local Sullivan Tire. Buy three, get one free on Yokohama Tires. Or buy one Yokohama Tire, get the second at 50% off. Plus, get up to a $70 mail-in rebate on select tires. Here's another terrific offer. Buy three, get one free on all winter tires in stock. And our ASC certified technicians will keep your car running right all season long. Check out our new website, SullivanTire.com, where you can find your tires online and make service appointments. SullivanTire.com. A couple of months ago, I was out at the mall when out of nowhere, this guy backs up and wham. Don't worry, everyone was okay, but my car was totaled and insurance wouldn't cover it. So I'm a busy guy and I need a new car and I don't have time to shop for loan rates. Thanks to City of Boston Credit Union, I didn't have to. For rates and terms, visit cityofbostoncu.com. Equal opportunity lender. You're listening to The Car Doctor. On AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Austin. My name is John Paul, the Car Doctor here to help you with your car problems on this Saturday morning. Give us a call at 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. And remember, our program is brought to you in part by Honda Cars of Boston. Looking for a Honda? Go check it out at Honda Cars of Boston. Check it out, see what they got. Honda makes good stuff. No one can question that. Uh, some... I saw I saw a couple things that sort of intrigued me the other day about um, 
some little tips and tricks that I thought were pretty good, and a few of them, a few of them I thought were uh, pretty creative, and one of them was if you do your own repairs and You've tried to drive a car up on ramps, especially if you have, you're doing it in a garage with a cement floor. Um, sometimes the ramp right away. So what it, what the little trick was, it said get some nylon strapping and then attach it to a hole in the ramp or drill a hole in the ramp and then situate the other end so that your back wheels roll over them and then up the ramp as you go. Well, what happens is the back wheels hold the ramps from sliding forward. What I like more about it is if you kind of wheel out the nylon strap, so you take like a uh, two-inch nylon strap, it gives you something to aim for. So you get the front tires on the nylon strap, and you can actually see it rather than trying to stop, make sure you have the ramps perfectly positioned in front of the wheel so you can get up and down. The other thing you have to watch out for with ramps, besides make sure you have pretty decent ones, is that today's tires are wider than ever. You want to make sure the ramps are wide enough. And the other thing you want to do is you want to make sure that the um, ramps are going to clear anything either going up the ramps or down the ramps that is going to clear any kind of... Um, trip that you, you know, something like a, a spoiler or an air deflector or wind deflector, the thing that people usually get caught on, uh, caught on their uh, cars when they're pulling up the parking lots, for instance, and hit a parking lot bumper. And you, everybody's, everybody's heard or seen somebody pull over a parking lot bumper and the plastic thing under it gets caught and they pull it back. And on some cars that is not just a little air deflector, it's part of the whole bumper system. Uh, and it can cause some real expenses to do that. And there's a little trick about how to park them. Maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. But securing the ramps, you want to make sure you have plenty of clearance when you go up and down. Uh, my wife's old car sat a little bit lower to the ground, and I would have to put some blocks in front of the ramps if I was going to put it up on ramps to change the oil in the car. So this is a good way to keep that from happening. Another little tip was when using a digital volt meter, it's easy to leave the leads in the current reading mode, which can cause real problems if you try to test voltage on the meter. So what happens is it's just a reminder to reset the dial on the digital volt ohm meter. So put a rubber band around it and place that over the dial. This way, when you go back to use the digital volt meter again, you'll, the rubber band kind of reminds you, oh, I need to switch leads back and forth or whatever the case is. So no different than, you know, wrapping a piece of string around your wrist to remind you to do something. This is one I've heard about before, but I've never tried it, and people tell me it works. Using wax to free a frozen bolt. So what you do is um, you have a bolt that's all rusted and frozen, and you heat, you heat the frozen nut with a torch and then melt candle wax into the bolt threads and repeat as needed until the nut can be worked free. Usually what happens with rusty nuts and bolts is, and kind of a good trick always, is always try to tighten a little before you loosen. Because what happens is, if you try to back off a, a, a nut off of a bolt, or sometimes a, just a bolt out of wherever it's seated, you go to you go to loosen it, and there'll be rust that's built up inside of it, and it'll actually bind the threads up and cause all kinds of trouble. 
So tightening it a little bit sometimes frees it so you can kind of clean around it or, or the rust just blows away. But the idea of uh, heating up this bolt, and you don't have to use a real super hot torch, I guess, but heat it up with a with a torch, maybe map gas or something, and then put some wax or melt some wax into it. The wax will coat the threads and allow it to more easily free itself from where it should be. Oh, I don't know. It was probably early springtime or late springtime. It was a nice day. I remember that. And I decided to do brakes on my car, and the brake caliper mounts, because I wanted to change the rotors, the brake caliper mounts, the bolts were rusted in place, and I have an old plumber-style torch, B-tank-style Prestolite tank torch, and I was heating up, I was heating and heating and heating to try to free the bolts up that held the caliper brackets in place, uh, heating, banging stuff, you couldn't get a good wrench on it, it was hard to, it was awkward and hard to get to, uh, who knows, maybe this would have worked and worked better and saved me, I think I still have a bruise on my hand from, uh, well, well, things slipped a little bit. Uh, another little tip I thought was, uh, I thought was pretty good, it, and this, this sounds like the, the people from Mechanic, um, they have a they have a little tool tray, and I think I gave one away to a lucky listener. And it was a little tool tray with uh, some caster wheels on the bottom of it, and a magnetic tray in the middle. And you could also have a little place to mount a light if you wanted to. And you put your tools in it when you're working on your car, so you can always reach for them. Well, some clever person took an old transmission pan, and they welded some small casters on it to make a little small. Uh, uh, shop floor rolling parts tray, which I thought was a pretty pretty clever idea, a good thing to do. Um, holding a wrench, a bolt and a wrench, well, this is a pretty easy one, and uh, one that I think everyone's tried, but everybody's been aggravated by it at the same time. Uh, to hold a bolt and a wrench or an extension when you need the other hand free, put a chunk of paper towel over the head of the bolt before slipping it onto the wrench. This will create a tight enough fit uh, to hold the bolt but loose enough that you can easily pull the wrench away when the bolt is secure. I used to use a little bit of um, a seam sealer, so sort of this little stuff that you would put on a, a body seam. It was sticky, gooey, dumb, dumb stuff, and you would put it on it, and it would hold it in place. Paper towel, again, sort of the same thing. I did that not too long ago to hold something in place. That I, was, I was putting a bolt in that was about 12 inches away from where I could reach and you know the first time you go to do it you hope that uh the bolt stays well it doesn't and i've even i even have a old set of little magnetic inserts that would fit in the bottom of a socket that would have a little magnet in it so it would hold it in place it didn't always work that good this is nice and simple doesn't cost anything a piece of paper towels another one was uh make a pair of uh hose clamp pliers it says sometimes old stubborn hose clamps can be tough to pry off with regular pliers the little metal release tabs can get pretty slippery to address this. Um, they cut some grooves in a, a bent pair of needle nose pliers. The grooves engage the tabs and give you a good grip for prying the clamp apart. Um, yeah, that, that works pretty good. There's dedicated hose clamp, clamp pliers that are designed for the old-style round hose clamps. And the good ones are adjustable so you can work at different angles, even some of them. Uh, and it had actually a little threaded piece on it so you'd actually screw it together and hold it in place. But, um, it would, it would work, it would work 
pretty well, but this idea of having an old pair of uh, bent-nose, uh, needle-nose pliers works pretty good, too. And then this one I hadn't seen before. It says, when trying to remove hosing that is good and stuck, you can sometimes tear up the rubber material with conventional pliers. It says, wrap some hockey tape or other grippy tape and then you create a pair of pliers that are more forgiving to marble surfaces. Well, that one's a pretty good idea, but if the hose is that stuck, especially if it's that stuck on something like a heater core, for instance, or even a radiator, you need to be very careful because they don't make heater cores and radiators that solid anymore. So you have to be really careful that you're not yanking and pulling sometimes I hate to say it, sometimes it's you're better off. And I have a I have a, a cotter pin puller. So it looks like an awl that's bent on a ninety degree angle. And what I would do is I would use that, slip it in under the hose and work it all around to free the hose up from the radiator or whatever the case was. Uh, other times it's so stuck and you look at the hoses anyway and they're not in new condition so you just slit the hose and cut it to get it off because sometimes I've seen so many novice mechanics that they'll grab a hold of the hose yank and twist to replace a hose and end up breaking a radiator so you don't want to do that uh, this is this is a clever one that I think everyone's kind of run into you go looking for a funnel because you're trying to put oil in your car and you don't have a funnel and it's in an awkward place and you know if you try to pour it right out of the container you got to make a mess. Well, take an old oil container, save it, cut the bottom off of it, and now all of a sudden you have a funnel. And it's a nice size, and it makes it easy to add oil to your car. And finally, out of these little things, little tips here, two more. Uh, a cleaning bucket dip tray. This is kind of a funny one. You, you've probably seen the mop buckets that, that have the divider in them. There's one side for, I don't know, soap and one side for water or whatever, whatever it is. Um, so it's two buckets in one container. It's kind of a handy little thing if you're working on an engine stand, for instance, and there's the bar in the middle and you're like, you're trying to loosen things up and you're trying to keep things. Well, it, it just fits right over the bottom of the engine stand. So it kind of makes it kind of nice. And then the last one, uh, to create a more waterproof seal for heat shrink tubing, uh, uh, before you, so heat shrink tubing is a plastic tubing that if you're making an electrical connection, you, you make your soldered connection, you put the heat shrink tubing over it, you heat it up with, uh, a heat gun. Some people use, uh, torch. I like a heat gun. It's not quite as, uh, you don't have to worry quite as much about starting stuff on fire. Uh, but the, the heat gun works good. It shrinks the tubing and makes a waterproof seal. Well, this is good if you work on boats and other things that are exposed to more moisture. You put some dielectric gel, dielectric grease. You can get it at any auto parts store. Uh, once you solder the wires, you put the grease in. Then you slide the heat shrink tubing on. Heat is normal. As the tubing shrinks, they'll squeeze out the excess grease and leave you a very waterproof seal. So if you're working on a boat, pretty good thing, pretty good thing to use. Our phone number is 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030. I'd love to hear from you and see what's on your mind about cars and 
car problems, maybe your first car, your last car, whatever the case is, we can talk to you. Uh, you know, back to making sure your car is ready for winter time. Uh, it's always a good idea to leave your gas tank at least half full throughout the cold weather to prevent moisture from forming in fuel lines and possibly freezing. What happens, not as much anymore, but still, if your car has a metal gas tank, have you been out in the morning and, you know, everything's all dewy on the outside of your car? Well, the same thing can happen on the inside of your gas tank. Moisture will build up on the inside of the tank. It'll drip off. It'll, it'll drop into the fuel. And then all of a sudden now you have moisture in your fuel, which can cause freezing at times. Although the ethanol gas that we all hate does actually have, does actually help prevent moisture freeze up, but um, maybe not always the best, especially ethanol is not that great for older cars. I remember I was down at the sandwich, uh, the the Heritage Museum and Gardens, and I was talking to some of the people that work on the old cars down there. And what they do is they go to the airport and they actually buy aviation fuel that doesn't have. They can get it as no lead, so um, fuel with lead in it, uh, fuel with lead in it still, or they can get it without ethanol in it. So the fuel just doesn't have the same issues that some of the ethanol fuel does with older cars. Now, if you have an older car and you've replaced all of the fuel lines and the fuel pump and all that sort of stuff, you're in pretty good shape. To, the, then everything's compatible. I noticed uh, here in Florida, they actually sell ethanol-free fuel for boating purposes. So I thought that was pretty good. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. And we have a couple lines open for you, but right now we have Rick on the phone. Rick, good morning. Hey, John. I got a few suggestions you could, I, I could share with you. All right. Uh, years ago, um, my, my old motorcycle, I got a new one about a month ago, uh, I had to put some uh, radiator fluid in, and the fill spot was literally underneath the engine on the low side. Okay. And so what I did is I, I took a milk jug. I cut the handle off from the jug at the top end, and mm-hmm. then at the bottom end of the handle, I, I, I cut a tray. Okay. It was a plastic. And put the top end into the fill spot and poured my radiator fluid in on the tray. And it had just put, used it as a sort of a tray funnel setup. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Uh, second idea. Uh, when I was in the Coast Guard, we would always use powdered graphite on our rocks. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a powder, not a liquid. And yep. it, the last, the last, even though exposed to the, you know, salt water and the wind and the rain and all that, we had less problems with the lights than we would use any type of liquid in there. Yeah, a lot of people make the mistake with locks of using like WD-40. And WD-40 yeah. is a, it's a great lubricant, but it also washes the graphite away that the locks, most locks come with. So all of a sudden yeah. now you lube, you lube up, you lube up a lock with WD-40. It works great for about a day or two. Now all of a sudden it's all sticky. Yeah, powdered graphite, you know, other than you get it all with your fingers, it's hard to wash off. But, um, yeah, powdered graphite is still, is still a great product for locks. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And I, I use a, a silicone and graphite anti-seize compound on my hinges because it's, it's an anti-seize and it doesn't dry out as fast as grease does. Yeah, and it's not, and it's not quite as, um, you know, people will put, you know, stuff on, especially on the, uh, on the post where the lock engages, the, the one that's not on the hinge side, but on the other side, 
you know, people yeah. put stuff on there. You'll see them put white grease on there. And next thing you know, you got white grease all over the car. So using, you don't have to use much of this stuff either, which is kind of nice. Uh, they yeah. used to always, and I look, I went looking for it one day. There used to be something called door ease and it was sort of a, a waxy stick. And it was probably the same thing. It was probably a combination of silicone and graphite, and the, but it was it looked like a big fat crayon, and you'd, yeah. you'd just goop it all over the the hinges, and it would work really nice. Well, I use that so the anti thief compound on the door hinges. I use it on the hinges of my knives and that, and it works great. Um, another suggestion: I carry uh, in my tool bag, different ones, a small mm-hmm. piece of leather. And I will use the leather when I need to grip something, but not mire it with pliers. Yeah. And I use, no, that, use a, that's, an old, that's an old plumber's trick. Um, yeah. plumbers, plumbers always, because you'd go to change, I don't know, a shower head or something, and, yep. you know, you don't want to mire up the chrome finish, so you'd have, a, you'd have a piece of leather and you would wrap it around. That way you could use a Stilson wrench or a pair of channel locks and you'd get a good grip on it, but you wouldn't cause any damage. Uh, again, good trip. Good trick if we're not, you know, and sometimes you think, oh, I can just, I can take a pair of pliers or a pair of channel lock pliers. I'll just hold it real tight and it, and, and I know I won't make any, no, you, and it slips, right. it <laughs> grinds things up, you cause problems, and then you feel, you feel bad afterwards and, you know, then all of a sudden now you, you said, well, I fixed the problem, but now it looks ugly, now I want to go and fix that problem. So yeah. Yeah. And here's one for uh, gas station owners. I stopped off to fill up my car yesterday, yep. and I went to clean my winch, my windows. Yep. Well, they hadn't changed the fluid in the, the bucket, and I don't know how long. I got back in my car, and I said, why did I even bother? You know, I actually had to use the windshield washer in my car to clean the windshield to drive away. It was so dirty. Yeah, when I, when I, was, a, when I was a kid, I worked in a gas station. And the guy who owned the gas station, that was mandatory is you went out there, you went out there every day and hosed out, hosed out the bucket and put fresh flu- fluid in. Yep. Just for that reason. So when you clean somebody's windshield, it was actually clean afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> well, mine wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I was in, this was last winter time. I went into, I, I, and I don't remember what it was, you know, we'll say it was a mobile on the run or, you know, a Sitco, or, you know, one of the, you know, typical self-serve with a convenience store. And yep. the, 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 the window cleaning brush squeegee thing was frozen in a bucket of ice. Well, you know, that's yep. not the right stuff to clean a window with. That's, you know, it, and it looks sort of bluish, but I don't know what it was. It certainly wasn't, it certainly wasn't anything. So, you know, the, the, to do it right, you put the right stuff in, and you 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 know, or don't or don't do it at all. You know, to clean to clean a windshield and end up with dirty water running down the side of the car afterwards. It's just that's not that's not good. So, nope. yep, no, all good tips, Rick. Well, John, uh, you have a good day, and uh, I got get back on the road again. So my 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 right my, my, my plan my plan is. To try to not fall off a ladder today. That's I think that's my big plan for today. I, you know, this this will make you feel good. I was talking to a guy down here. He has a, uh, uh, Yamaha Voyager. The thing is, I think it's a ninety, ninety maybe. It's pretty old. He bought he bought it four years ago with thirty thousand miles on it. He has 
He has uh, 120,000 miles on it now. He sold his car. His wife still has a truck, but he sold his car. It is his full-time year-round vehicle. Uh, all he does is all he does is ride a motorcycle. He commutes about 40 minutes each way back and forth to work, rain or shine, no matter what the weather. And uh, and I said, and he said, I just like to ride a motorcycle. That's that's. He said, when I retire, whenever that day comes, my plan is to just ride and ride and ride. And it, and it actually made me think of you because I know you ride pretty much year round. Well, uh, I retired and I'm not riding as much as I used to, and that and. Because I'm going to need my tool bag, I'm in my car today because I'm headed over to my church because we're going to be painting a parking lot, among other things. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> but but you but you but you still ride a lot. You 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 oh, ride yeah. a lot compared to a lot of people. So yeah, I was, I, was, I I got I I got a I got a 2016 Indian and I just picked it up and I'm I'm just riding that so. Yeah, and and like uh, like all like all new motorcycles, you know, you're, you're getting to know each other, right? Yeah, we're definitely getting to know each other. I found out that uh, when I hit 125, it's time to look for a gas station. There you go. Okay, <laughs> it's probably time to it's probably time to get off and stretch at that point, anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Rick. Thanks for calling. Always always good advice from you. Well, John, you have a good day. God bless. Bye. You as well. All right. Take care. Bye bye now. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. You know, we're talking about car care and getting your car ready for winter time. And it used to be we always talked about changing the winter weight oil if you live in a cold climate. Uh, you know, today's oils. I think I read an article a couple of weeks ago about some manufacturers are going to zero seventeen oil. Uh, we were seeing, you know, five twenty was pretty common. My uh, uh, in fact, my old Hyundai uses 520 weight oil. Uh, then we were seeing 020 weight oil in some of the hybrid cars, like the Honda Civics and things like that. And now we're seeing 017 oil. So this lightweight, thin, thin oil that is designed to lubricate some of those little nooks and crannies inside the engine, but also the thinner the oil, the better the fuel economy. I remember the my oil of choice back in the back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, was 20W50 oil. We put, I put 20W50 in everything, and it seemed to do a good job. I don't remember ever having a real problem, but the, that was old That was old technology and old cars. But the idea of changing to a winter weight oil, um, maybe if you have an old vehicle, you might want to think about it, but today's multi-weight oils, uh, really something you don't need to think about so much anymore. And then again, you know, like Rick said, he was talking about his tool bag. Uh, packing some essentials with you is always a good idea. Uh, ice scraper, snow brush. I have seen more people come out of work at, on a snowy day or a frosty day and they're using a credit card, uh, to scrape their windshield, windshield because they don't have an ice scraper. Uh, you know, trying to, trying to pull snow off their car with their jacket. Uh, keep a snow brush in your car. Uh, it doesn't have to be a big fancy one, but keep a snow brush in your car. And when winter weather comes around, I, I drag out my snow broom. It's a basically a piece of styrofoam on the end of a stick and on the end of a handle. And I shorten up the handle a little so it fits in the car a little bit easier. Now they have some that are adjustable lengths. But it's a good way to quickly remove all the snow off your car. And I hate to talk about snow. The weather's been so nice in New England lately, but... I guarantee it's going to snow sometime over the winter, 
But just to clean all, all the snow off your car, people who drive around and they just barely clean the windshield off. I have seen people in the morning on the way to work, and I don't know where they're going because, you know, maybe they work locally, but they just clean off the driver's side of the windshield. How lazy can you be? Clean off both sides, clean the windshield off. You know, if I was a police officer, I would be writing a ticket for something like that. There's just driving with improper equipment. Uh, but, you know, as a general rule, keep some, you know, snow brush and ice scraper in your car and have them so you can get to them pretty easily. Uh, an emergency kit, you should always have one in your car. Jumper cables or battery, or battery jump pack. I have a battery jump pack in each car now. So one of those little lithium ion battery jump packs, uh, sits in each car in case of emergencies. I also have a, portable air compressor in each car in case there's a you know potential of a flat tire uh do i keep blankets and extra clothes in my kit in one of my cars does have a full full kit in it and it does have one of those like space blankets sort of an aluminum foil blanket that you can wrap yourself up in and keep warm in bad weather uh bottled water is a good idea. A sports drink is a little better idea, only because something like Gatorade or something like that, because the additives in it, it doesn't tend to freeze as much. Some non-perishable food, you know, snack bars, things like that, in case you get hungry. And first aid and any medication you might need. If people are old enough to remember things like the blizzard of 78 or other times, I remember uh, it was probably 10 years ago now, uh, myself and a co-worker were leaving Falmouth, a meeting in Falmouth with the Police Chiefs Association, heading back to Providence, Rhode Island, to where the AAA main office is, and we got to Providence. Let's see, it took an hour and a half to go from Providence to Falmouth. It took about six and a half hours to get from Falmouth back to Providence because the weather conditions, the traffic, it was just a disaster. And if you were somebody who needed uh, medication, you know, you're diabetic, you're some, something, you should always keep a little bit of spare medication with you just in case of an emergency, just to, just to make sure that things are in, things are, uh, that you're prepared as well as your car is prepared. Why don't we take another break, pay some bills? My name is John Paul. This is a car doctor program. Uh, just a reminder. Uh, if you're thinking about buying a Toyota, uh, go see the good people at it, at uh, Atlantic Toyota up on the Lin Lay and Lin. Uh, they have the all new 2018 Toyota Camry. Uh, if you if you haven't seen it, go take a look at it. It's got a little bit different look in it, but more importantly, take it for a test drive. It is just a great car. They did a really good job with it. That's uh, Atlantic Toyota on the Lin Lay and Lin. We'll be right back. Well, if you ever plan to motor west, a track date my way, that's the highway, that's the best. Fall has arrived, and drivers, it's time to get ready. So giant tire savings continue at your local time. Buy Tires, or buy one Yokohama tire, get the second at 50% off. Plus, get up to a $70 mail-in rebate on select tires. Here's another terrific offer. Buy three, get one free on all winter tires in stock. And our ASC certified technicians will keep your car running right all season long. Check out our new website, SullivanTire.com, where you can find your tires online and make service appointments. SullivanTire.com. 
Toyota is the number one best-selling car in the world. You probably know that. But what you should know is where the best place is to buy the best-selling cars. Look no further than Atlantic Toyota on the Midway in Lynn. Atlantic Toyota Inland has the largest selection at the lowest prices with a friendly and knowledgeable staff. Atlantic Toyota Inland can get you into the right Toyota right now. Atlantic Toyota has an extreme clearance event on all remaining 2017 models, large manufacturer rebates, low financing as low as 0% on select models. Mention WEZE and you'll receive an additional $500 off all remaining 2017 models with already discounted prices. Supplies are limited, so hurry down to Atlantic Toyota Inland for full details. Bring the whole family with a great play area for the kids. Atlantic Toyota in Lynn, the number one place to buy the number one car. Call them at 866-676-4000. Offer may not be combined with any other discounts or offers. Call 866-676-4000 today. Hello, this is Carol Howley-Simmons, General Sales Manager of Salem Media Group Boston. As you know, 2017 is WROL Irish 950's Golden Jubilee. And as we plan our upcoming celebrations, we are feeling nostalgic and think it is only fitting to dance down memory lane with all of you. We would like you to call us at 617-691-2534 and share your memories and stories of what WROL Irish 950 has meant to you over the years. We will record you and then share your words each weekend over the airwaves. Our phone lines are open 24-7, so call us anytime at 617-691-2534. For 50 years, WROL Irish 950 has proudly made history every Irish weekend, right up to this very weekend. Come make it with us. listening to The Car Doctor. Day, depending on where you are and how much you, how much you like to be uh, driving around with the top down. Uh, and fall fall is a great time actually to drive around in a convertible. Uh, you put the top down, turn the heat on a little bit. If you have one of those uh, wind deflector things, you can you can put that on. Although I'm a big believer, if you're going to drive around in a convertible, you should do it with the windows down. The idea of driving around in a convertible and putting all the windows up is just, I don't know, to me it just, it's just to me it seems like you should, you should be enjoying all of it. And there's something about a convertible and for good or bad sometimes this, you know, you, there, there's a place every once in a while when I get off the highway and I happen to be in, maybe I'm in our convertible, maybe I'm in a test car that's a convertible and there's a, a Dunkin' Donuts factory, and you go you go around the corner, and all you smell is donuts cooking, which they don't do at Dunkin' Donuts anymore for the most part. Uh, but you smell the donut factory, or you go buy a bakery. 
bread. On the other hand, you also sometimes get stuck behind a garbage truck and or something like that. That's not that good, but uh, but you know, it's one of those things that you can you can actually sort of enjoy all the sights and smells and and even sometimes that first snowstorm that's the big the big uh, snowflakes that you know it's not it's, it's not the wet rainy snow it's the big snowflakes and to drive around at you know 30 miles an hour with the top down or winter coat on and just you know drive it in the snow with the top i don't know it's it's actually it's actually sort of fun in a weird sort of way our phone number 617-770-3030 617-770-3030 is how you get through and talk to us about your car and your car problems uh we were talking about a variety of things last week and uh including various car shows that are still floating around and uh, a couple you know a couple other shows including some local shows so always always try to support your local car show if you you know hear of something that's going on even if you're not a big car enthusiast stop by say hello you know talk to the people that are at the show always always a good time and people love to talk about their cars. People love to talk about, you know, how the kind of work they put into it. Uh, always, always good. Well, the Australian Government Advisory Board just released a report, a report on how regulations may need to be updated for self-driving cars, and including how drunk driving laws may need to be changed. The National Transport Commission wants to develop a full set of regulations covering all aspects of autonomous car operation by 2020. Letting a drunk person ride in a fully autonomous car doesn't seem like much of an issue, but under the current rules, just entering a vehicle, even a self-driving one, could lead to drunk driving penalties in some Australian states. Just starting the car with the intent to put it in motion while intoxicated is a punishable offense. Uh, the rules may need to be rewritten to allow people to start a fully autonomous vehicle, um, which sort of makes sense. Even if you're not drunk, um, and Massachusetts, I think, in a smart way, changed some rules a while back about the ability to, and I'm not a wine drinker, but the ability to take a partially home, a partially empty bottle of wine home from a restaurant. So the idea that you would order a bottle of wine at a restaurant and you paid a lot of money for it, and you don't want to waste it, so maybe you decide to drink it, and now that extra glass of wine over the couple glasses you already had may make you slightly impaired. And, of course, the first thing with impairment is decision-making that goes bad. So if you're making a poor decision, and that poor decision might be getting behind the wheel, Commonwealth of Massachusetts changed the rules a few years back, and you could say, can you recork this bottle of wine they put it in a um, they put it in a sealable bag and they usually uh, attach a receipt to the bottle and that way you can bring it home and it's basically an open container but it's not so you can get it home and you don't have too much to drink but you get to bring your wine home uh, kind of a good idea but the rules had to change for that and sometimes rules have to change for all the right reasons so uh, so the idea that self-driving cars, yeah, the idea that if you are in a car and you've had too much to drink and you started it up and you were behind the wheel, and even though you just had it running to stay warm or cool, 
you're basically driving at that point, even though you're not. So uh, it's it's worth it's you know worth looking at the different rules change and so on. So look at it and make sure. This still comes up a lot. It says, how often do I change the engine oil in my car? It used to be a simple question with a direct answer every 3,000 miles. That's what many people were taught growing up, including me. Um, in fact, my wife's uncle, who always kept his cars forever, believed in changing the oil on his car every 2,000 miles. The reason the 3,000-mile myth has become widespread is because manufacturers had maintenance checklists that were based on weird schedules. And I think I might have mentioned this last week. I remember going to a General Motors training class back in, oh, it might have been the 70s, early 80s. And it talked about the normal driving conditions. And then it talked about what would categorize it as an abnormal driving condition. And it would say things like temperature extremes, dusty roads, um, stop-and-go driving. So basically what they were saying was every car that General Motors made needed to be have the service done in the severe service schedule. Now, again, that's changed, too. Some manufacturers, and I think it's Subaru, says that if you're if if you're, your driving criteria fits three of the following, so temperature extremes, well, if you live in New England, we all drive in temperature extremes. One one day it could be 25 degrees out, the next day it could be 65 degrees out, in the summertime it could be 100 degrees out, so those are temperature extremes. If you drive at predominantly low speeds, well, if you're driving from in and out of Boston, well, it's pretty much all predominantly low speeds unless you're doing it at 3 o'clock in the morning. And even at 3 o'clock in the morning, I've been stuck in construction traffic, and it's like, it's like why why is traffic backed up? It's three o'clock in the morning, and in fact, it's backed up because you're doing construction and trying to make the roads better. But stop and go traffic, dusty, dirty conditions. Well, we have a lot of pollen. Can does pollen categorize? Is that in the same category as dust and dirt? It's possible it is. So, but uh, the root of the problem, according to this article, says. Uh, started to take hold as mechanics and auto repair stores realized they could make more money by telling customers they need to have their oil changed every 3,000 miles because that's what the car manufacturer recommended. It also probably didn't help when people who did use their vehicle in a normal or heavy manner shared that they indeed needed to change their oil that much more often. The vast majority of car owners need to go by regular maintenance schedules, listen to their service manuals. Do you do any harm when you do it too often? No. But a trusted technician can tell you if you're using your car in such a way that requires you to change your oil more often and other fluids more often. In fact, uh, transmission fluid is one of those things that says, you know, how often you should change it. Uh, and in a lot of cases, not at all, unless you do some other heavy-duty work with it. In fact, I took a, uh, I answered an email from someone, I think it was in last week's Boston Globe column, that a woman brought her 2016 Volvo into the dealership and wanted to have her tires rotated because the dealership would cover, the manufacturer in the dealership would cover all routine maintenance for about a couple of years or something like that. And they said, oh, no, we don't recommend changing your tires. It's not rotating your tires. It's not necessary. I don't know if that's a case of Volvo actually trying to keep their maintenance costs lower 
or whether they really think it's necessary or not. Uh, do tires need to be rotated? Does it help extend the life of the tire? Yes. Uh, is it a good idea periodically to take the wheels and tires off the car just to inspect the brakes? Absolutely. makes a lot of sense. Uh, does it, uh, is it also as you're checking the tire, kind of rolling the tire from position to position, you can look for things like nails and cuts and bruises and bulges in the tires? Good idea. How often do I change it, rotate the tires on my cars? Not that often, I'll be perfectly honest, because I, I still do an awful lot of stuff myself, and doing tire rotations just more work than I see the benefit. Uh, when the car, when the Volkswagen goes in for an oil change, it, uh, which doesn't happen very often. The Volkswagen says change the oil every 10,000 miles or once a year. Um, you know, good time to rotate the tires? Yeah, probably. Uh, you know, certainly can't hurt. So again, preventative maintenance, doing some of these things make a lot of sense. Other times, you have to look at what's, you know, what makes sense. And, and I talked about, I talked about this, um, last week. Hyundai in, in, intends to eliminate some of those car buying woes with this shopper assurance program, a program that allows customers to do m- most of their purchasing online and then some. Pretty good idea. And before we get to Mike on the line, uh, remember from 12 to 4, uh, on the 28th of October at the Whitman uh, Library, there will be a hybrid and EV car show. So in the nice little town of Whitman, uh, go check it out on the t- on the 28th from 12 to 4. Uh, check it out and see what's there. Let's talk to Mike. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, John. Um, How are you? Good, good. So thank you. Uh, coincidentally, I heard you talk about that, and I put it down on the calendar, so... I'm planning on going because we both own hybrids. But um, first of all, the reason I called, would you kindly speak about your experience with self-parking cars? You know, sometimes those are the options you can get, and, you know, they can be a little pricey. But I was wondering if you could talk how they work and um, your experience with how well they work. Is it worth an investment? Well, it, it is. it is a pretty good investment in a lot of cases. And what can happen is, uh, here's my experience. There's, there, there were, there were two kinds of self-parking car systems. One of them was, you did nothing. You pulled up, you pulled up to a parking space, the car would recognize the space, and you pushed a button and say parallel parking, and the car would apply the gas and the brake all by itself, and it would put you into a parking space. Uh, the uh, Lexus had that, and it worked pretty well in a good-sized spot. Uh, some of the other ones, in fact, I, I was driving a, a Range Rover probably a year or so ago. It had a self-parking feature, and you would have to apply the gas and the brake. It would spin the wheel by itself. So I tried it in perpendicular parking, like backing into a parking lot, a parking space. And when I did, it did park me in the parking space using the sonar system, kind of sonar and LIDAR, uses radar and and a bunch of systems to uh, kind of figure out where the car is. And it put me in the spot, but it put me much closer than I wanted to be on the passenger door to the other car's driver door, to the point where I actually backed up, pulled forward, and, and parked the car again because I didn't like the way the car was situated. It, was, it wasn't even in the parking spot. And then I had another car that I tried parallel parking and it was a cur- it wasn't a traditional um, 
parking, uh, it wasn't a traditional sidewalk. It was, instead of being like what we have all around New England, a granite curbing, it was actually just sort of a, uh, an asphalt rounded over sort of curb, which is much kinder to your tires, uh, but it, it wasn't traditional granite curbing. And it actually parked with the right rear tire up on the edge of the curb. So, so I'm not, so the bottom line is, I'm not that wild about them. Uh, I did, I will say, I did, um, I, I drove a Ford Fusion that had self-parking, and it could park in a space that I don't think I could really get into without an awful lot of work. And people don't parallel park that much anymore. People are a little rusty at it. But I, I went and looked at this, this spot. There was a spot that I said, I couldn't, I don't, I think I would drive by that one. And they said, no, take it and try it. And uh, you just had to follow the directions, and it, and you would have to apply the gas and the brake. At the same demonstration I was at, somebody said, oh, go ahead and try this. And they were actually so enthused watching the wheel spin back and forth, they forgot to step on the brake and backed into the car behind them. So you still need, yeah. So you still, you still need to pay attention. You still need to pay attention to, you know, how the car, how the car is going to back up and, you know, and when you need to apply the brake and all that sort of stuff. But it, I don't know. I, I, I you know, to me, parallel park or self parking is not a feature that I would really be all that excited about. Uh, I think I do an adequate job of, uh, backing up and pulling and, you know, and, and good, good, Parallel parking techniques. You find a sight line with your car. You know, usually it's maybe the middle of the rear window. You back up till you you know bring that sight line to the edge of the curb. Uh, usually that's enough to get you sort of on a good angle into the into the car, and then you know spin the wheel around and, and pull back. Um, you know, and, and I said something about pulling into parking spots and how people can damage the undercarriage of the car with things like parking lot bumpers and things like that. A good guide for that is. The bottom of each side view mirror, if you pull up to a, a parking space or a curb or something, and the bottom of the side view mirror, as you pull up, you look at the side view mirror, and the bottom edge of the mirror lines up with the edge of the curb, they'll usually put you about six to eight inches away from one of those parking lot bumpers. So there's a lot of things in your own car that you can look at that can tell you where the edge of something is. So with a little bit of practice, it might be the center of the hood might bring you, if you use the center of the hood, pulling into a parking spot, for instance, uh, uh, a spot up where you're parking by the edge of the road. The center of the hood, if you use that as a site for the edge of the curb, that usually brings you six to eight inches away from the curb, so a nice distance away from the curb. So using the, using your car and making up your own little sight lines in it, to me, is a, a, a cheap way to do it and without all the technology. So, again, I'm not that wild about it. Just like we did a lot of testing at AAA with automatic emergency braking, the idea that if you're not paying attention, your car will come to a stop automatically without you stepping on the brake. And what we did is we had a um, remote control, basically a foam car that could go about 50 miles an hour, and we had it out on the Auto Club Speedway out in, in California, and we'd get going about 50 miles an hour. That car, that remote control car would come to a stop. The car behind it, uh, Volvo, for instance, did really well. The Volvos came within inches of hitting the car but didn't hit it, a couple other cars drove right through it. 
and they all had, you know, you know. So um, the, our engineering team got really good at reassembling this foam car um, because not not every car, and some would actually apply the brakes, but it wouldn't come to a full stop. So it, I guess, the idea was it would apply the brakes with the idea the driver needed to jam on the brakes as well. Uh, but some of them, like the Volvo, would actually come to a full stop and did it pretty well. Although I was in a Volvo. That a car in front of me was turning right at a four-way intersection, and it got about partway around the turn, and it, it kind of came to a stop where I would have just normally kind of, you know, turned the wheel a little bit left and a little bit right just to go around the back of the car. The car actually applied the brakes without me wanting it to, and fortunately there was nobody behind me. So, but I didn't really want the car to stop, but it wanted to. Yeah, so it's interesting. Of, yeah. Yeah, some of these features are just not all they're cracked up to be. Yeah, you're seeing Lexus now advertising that not only will it stop with for a pedestrian, but will steer you out of the way automatically. Yeah. So yeah, you know they're all, yeah um, yeah. I I, I was I, I was at the New York no 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 the Detroit Auto Show with one of our engineers who used to work for AAA, and the guy was he was probably like five seven, and if he weighed a hundred pounds, I'd be surprised. A little skinny guy. And they had some demonstrations set up, uh, and I think it was both at General Motors, and it might have been at Subaru's display. And it was sort of like walk in front of it and lights would go on. Then it was showing that the car would brake automatically. And he was so skinny that if he kind of turned sideways and walked in front of it, it didn't see him. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how could they put that as a disclaimer in the yeah, you get the, yeah. the yeah, situation? Yeah, 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 yeah. It only it only worked for fat people, you know. So, uh, yeah, and, and the same and the same the same thing. Uh, you know, some of the blind spot monitor systems, uh, and they work pretty good. And but um, one of them, uh, we had we had the same skinny guy on a skinny motorcycle, and he went by at thirty at at. Highway speeds, it actually did pick them up with no problems. When the car was going 35, but the motorcycle was going 55, the motorcycle was going too fast for the car to see, to pick them up, and the blind spot monitor never came on. And, and you know, anybody who drives on the road knows that when traffic's going a little bit slow, how many times do you see a, a biker split the lane and zip down beside you? And, you know, all of a sudden they're doing, you know, 20, 20 miles more than you are, and the blind spot monitor misses that. Again, some of the technology doesn't make up for the common sense that every driver should have. Sure, absolutely. John, you know, those little tips you were just talking about for parking, are those available at, at AAA website, you know, that you could go they, there? They, and just... they, they, will, they will be soon. Okay. Right. Okay. That's All right. All right, John. All right. Much of your time. And now that, yep. now that you're semi-Floridian, so we'll... Uh, We'll keep yeah. that in mind as well, too. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. Hey, uh, we're, starting to, we're starting to run a little bit low on time, and I think Bobby Brooks is probably in the studio. Hey, John. How are you? Good. How are you, sir? I am doing just fine. What are you down in Florida? I'm down in Florida, yeah. Um, I'm not sure why, um, but I'm down, I'm down in Florida. Um, and I understand, you know, I left I left New England, and it's been what sixty five and seventy degrees all week, right? Oh, it's been gorgeous. It's been a beautiful day today. A little my favorite time of the year. Nice cool start, but it's going to warm up well into the seventies today. 
and uh, and sort of and sort of like uh, the Irish Hip Parade starts off a little starts off a little cool and gets hot through the hot through the whole program, right? Get the, by the time Bill Bailey gets in there, he'll help people dancing in the shoes, and uh, you know they're gonna have to get the kids out of the way and tie down the knickknacks. Yeah, they 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 go and and, and uh, you know Sully Sully's off today. You're filling in. You're filling in for the. For Dr. Paul Sullivan, uh, you got anything anything big planned for today? Well, no, not, uh, not just all the good stuff, good Irish music and stuff. Kind of got the call uh, last minute, so I had to wipe the sleep out of my eyes, throw a couple of pair of clothes in the dryer with a dryer sheet, and throw a baseball cap and get here. You know. <laughs> uh, so 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 that's that's your uh, that's your deodorant. Uh, 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 Clothes in the dryer with a dryer sheet, so you smell uh, downy fresh. Is that, that what it is? Downy fresh. There's no one else in the studio, so I can't offend anyone. <laughs> there you go. Hey, so we're gonna we're gonna step aside. It's been uh, it's been a fun fun show for today. Uh, we'll be back in the studio as proper for next week. So stay tuned for Bobby Brooks filling in for Dr. Paul Sullivan in the Irish Hit Parade. IHP, the very best in Irish music heard anywhere. Until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, and be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. And thanks to Jeff for doing a great job back at the board. See you all next week. Bye-bye.